Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching from our lead pastor, Adam Scott. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Christian Church. If you're new with us, I'm especially glad that you've chosen to spend a few minutes with us just diving into what God's Word says and growing closer to Him. Hey, I'm so excited that we get to offer you Financial Peace University again, okay? We do this every single year, and I want you to know I've taken it, uh, my wife has taken it with me, and Financial Peace University has revolutionized the way we manage our money, okay? Dave Ramsey is a cuss word in our house, okay, because his name comes up on a pretty regular basis. And it usually stops us from purchasing something that we want to purchase. But this program, it promises to do a few things. And my experience is it does every single one of them. It helps you to take control of your money. It helps you to attack debt, to save for emergencies, to choose the right insurance plans, to build wealth, to give generously, and more. If you've never experienced this, I want to encourage you to sign up for it. The classes start this Wednesday, okay, this Wednesday night, uh, but it is not too late to sign up, okay? It costs $80 for an individual or a couple, but I promise you it will be the best $80 you spend because it will set you on a path to financial freedom. If you want to sign up for that or any of our community groups, just scan the QR code in the seat pocket in front of you, and there'll be a groups tab, and you can sign up right there from the app. Sound good? All right, you guys are going to have to work with me a little bit today. I know it's rainy, I know it's tired, but you got to work with me just a little bit. I'm going to give you some good news, and if you don't cheer for this, okay, I'm going to be offended, okay? And we're going to have a heart-to-heart and change the subject of today's message so we can talk about your attitude, okay? This week, we had the opportunity, because of your generosity, to send $5,000 to a church in Griffin, Georgia, to help with the storm relief. The church's name is City Church, and we're affiliated with them and and connected with them and do some things with them. And and I'm telling you, they are boots on the ground changing the world in Griffin right now where they were hit hard by a storm. And it's because of your giving that we were were able to invest in them so that they can get out in the community and absolutely make the name of Jesus famous there. So we just want to say thank you for your giving and your faithfulness because it allows us to make a difference, not just in Milledgeville, but even beyond Milledgeville. you want to give today, uh, you can scan that QR code in the seat pocket in front of you. There's a theme, okay? Uh, you can scan that, you can give, or you can go to one of our giving areas out in the lobby after the service. Hey, we are right in the middle of a series that we're calling Fine Print, okay? And throughout this series, what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to shine a light on some of the expectations that we have of people that choose to partner with us here in Northridge. You see, there's, there's no qualifications to attend Northridge Christian Church, okay? There's no requirements for you to be in this building and worship with us, but we want to share some of the things that will allow you to, to partner with us in our mission to take this world closer to Jesus. We want to show you some of the ways that you can partner with us and get the most out of your experience here at the church. And here's what we've covered so far, okay? The first one is this. We expect every partner to be focused on reaching others. We expect it, okay? If you're gonna partner with us, you've got to understand this is not a weekend excursion, okay? This is a gathering of people on a mission from God to make this community the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. 
Okay, we have an important job to do and people that partner with us are gonna understand that and embrace it as their mission as well. Number two, we expect every partner to engage in biblical community. See, we think spiritual growth happens in circles, in community with other people. And I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, if you have been attending this church for over a year and you have not taken a step into biblical community, okay, through community groups, we cannot help you grow closer to Jesus than you are right now. It's that important. This is something that Jesus calls us to do and it's something that sets the church on fire and helps us to live out the gospel by growing in our relationship with him. Okay, today's conversation is gonna center around this third expectation that we have of people that partner with us here at the church, and it's this. We expect every partner to invest financially in God's work through the church. Let me set it up in this way. I recently watched a friend of mine try and light a fire in his fire pit in the backyard, okay? And I say try, and that's a big word, okay? If you know anything about lighting a fire in your backyard in like a suburban dad kind of way, you just need three things, okay? You need something to light the fire with, okay? Ideally, you've got matches or, or you've got a lighter or something like that. You need something to burn, okay? Ideally wood, not your neighbor's yard, okay? And number three, you need something that will transition it, the fire from that spark, that lighter, into the thing that you want to burn. Okay, now my friend had two of those things covered. But there was the third one that he set out to do with a unique material, okay? He, he didn't use sticks and he didn't use leaves and he, he didn't use cardboard, he used uh, construction paper. And he used a lot of construction paper. Okay, he lit the first piece on fire and he sat it in with the wood and nothing happened. It burned up, it was gone. So he lit another sheet and he did the same and nothing happened. So he lit two sheets at the same time and they burned up and nothing happened. He lit three sheets and nothing happened and so he finally went to the house to get more construction paper so he could come out and try this whole process again. Listen, without something to fuel it from point A to point B, that fire is gonna be nothing more than a momentary flicker. I mean, you can't roast marshmallows on it, right? You can't have a conversation around it. You can't even impress your friends with it. What does that have to do with giving? Well, God does not need our money to accomplish his will in the world around us. Okay, Psalm 50 declares that, that he's the owner of the forest and the cattle on a thousand hills. But from cover to cover, the Bible demonstrates that God chooses to fuel his fire in the world through the sacrificial giving of his people. You see, what our giving does is it it takes that spark that we experience in this place. Okay, that, that flame that happens inside this building and it, it multiplies it into the community and the world around us so that the people in Griffin can feel the presence of Jesus. So that the people in Milledgeville can feel the presence of Jesus. It turns what we do here into an all-consuming fire that changes the world out there. Listen, today's sermon in a sentence is incredibly simple, okay? Here it is. Sacrificial giving fuels God's work through the church. Go ahead and open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Mark chapter 12, okay? There's three truths from this chapter that we're gonna pull out and then we're gonna apply to our lives so that we can, we can launch a fire into this community that's gonna change this world and bring people closer to Jesus, okay? Let's start off Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 42. It's a familiar story. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, 
and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Pause right there. I want to know what you would do if, if outside in our giving areas right over here, the preacher just, or anybody for that matter, just watched you as you gave your offerings to the church. I want you to imagine, okay, that you go to the giving area right after the service and I'm just standing over there going, mm, there you go. Like that's, that's right. Like that would make you uncomfortable, right? I mean, that would cause this church to shrink in a hurry, but, but it would also demonstrate something, okay? It would demonstrate something incredibly important. It would demonstrate that we are wildly concerned with the spiritual discipline of giving, right? Well, that's exactly what Jesus does. You see, he seats himself across from these, these bronze trumpet-shaped receptacles that were used to collect money in the temple. And he just watches deliberately, and carefully. And see, what would have happened is there would have been some wealthy people that came and they would have made a show out of their gifts, okay? They would have taken a bag full of coins and they would have dumped them into these bronze receptacles and it would have made so much noise that everybody would have noticed what was happening. That's not all Jesus noticed, though. You see, Jesus leans in and he notices the large gifts, but he also notices the meager, quiet offering of the poor widow. You see, he sees her. He knows her story and he cares about her sacrifice. Here's the first truth we can pull out of this story. The way we manage money matters to God. You see, the truth is, most of the time we would rather talk about anything else in the church than money, right? I mean, give me a good series on sexual purity any day, you know? Let's talk about politics, anything but money. Because Satan has has found a way to twist the subject into a taboo topic that, that feeds the idea that money is all the church cares about. But let me give you some details, some statistics that should change your perspective on that. Did you know that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told address the issue of money and possessions? 16 of 38. In the Gospels, okay, one out of every 10 verses, which is 288 in all, deal with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. You see, the way we manage our money, this is a spiritual issue. It matters to the church because it matters to God. Listen, I recently read about this, um, this restaurant in Toronto that renamed their burgers so that you could expense them to your job, okay? And, and I want you to hear some of the names of the burgers that they've created, okay? Um, I don't remember what they all are. I think the bacon cheeseburger was a mini dry erase whiteboard, okay? So that you could get a receipt and you could turn it in and you could get reimbursed for the cost of your meal, okay? One of them was called an ergonomic aluminum laptop stand, okay? Sounds delicious, doesn't it? One of them was wired earphones with microphone. One of them was silicone keyboard cover, okay? Listen, I was reading through all of these different things and, and I couldn't help but laugh because it's funny to think about employees pulling one over on their boss so that they could be reimbursed for their meal. But here's the thing, sometimes you and I, as Christians, we believe we can pull one over like that on God. 
You see, sometimes we justify our lack of discipline in this area with, with clever ideas or, or theories. Sometimes we argue that we're an exception to the rule because we don't have enough margin to give. So Jesus obviously is not concerned with my giving at all. Sometimes we convince ourselves that the church is greedy for telling us what God's word says. Listen, I read a post the other day on Facebook. It was one of the Milledgeville Marketplace pages. And somebody asked what a good church was in the area. And I was so grateful to see so many of you invite them to our church. There were so many other good churches that were represented on that post, probably a hundred different posts. But there was one person who commented on it and said, there are no good churches in Milledgeville. They all want 10% of your money. Listen, I wanna say this clearly. Okay, and I didn't post it online. You probably shouldn't either. If you start a fight online in the name of Jesus, tell them you're from Freedom Church or something, okay? <laughs> Love that church. They can clean it up. They're really good at what they do, okay? But I want you to hear me say this really clearly, okay? I don't want Northridge to have your money. I want God to have your heart, period. I don't want Northridge to have your money. This is about God having your heart. And one of the greatest competitors that stands against God in opposition to God for the throne of your heart is money. It's true for you and it's true for me as well. You see, God is not against us having money, but he is against money having us. And that's why sacrificial giving is such an important discipline that God cares so much about because what it does is it restores balance by placing God back on the throne of our hearts. It knocks off his competitor so that he can rule completely in our lives. The way we manage money, listen to me, it matters to God. Let's keep reading, verses 43 through 44. It says, calling his disciples to him, okay, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Look, I love this because Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he's, he's so excited. He brings them to this place, and they had to be thinking, to get the attention of Jesus, like something amazing must have just happened, right? I mean, somebody must have shown up, and they must have given thousands or, or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. They must have done absolutely an incredible job at giving for Jesus to notice it and care about it and want to share those details with us. But that's not true. You see, Jesus was excited about the meager gift of a poor widow. Listen, her gift would have just been like two little shavings of metal. Okay, it would have been worth about 1 64th of a day's wages. Okay, what that means is if you translate it into today's economy, that means it was worth about seven and a half minutes of work. That's what this woman gave. It certainly wasn't gonna make any noise when she threw it into those bronze receptacles. Okay, she didn't want to cause a fuss. She didn't want people to notice. She was embarrassed by the size of the gift. But Jesus not only celebrates it, but he declares that it's more than what anybody else gave. Listen, in what world did she give more than everybody else? This is gonna get super technical, okay? But dictionary.com describes the word more in this way, a greater or additional amount or degree of. That definition has not changed since Jesus used it right here. Okay, the disciples must think he's crazy to say this woman gave more than anybody else. Her gift would have almost been more of a hassle to count 
than it would have been to apply to the budget. But get this, Jesus doesn't measure gifts with a scale, he measures them with a thermometer. See, he doesn't look at the size of the, or he looks at the size of the sacrifice, the temperature of the heart, not the value of the currency. And based on those qualifications, this woman gave more than anybody else because she kept nothing back for herself. Here's the second principle that we're gonna pull out of this. Giving is measured by sacrifice. Faithful giving is sacrificial giving, period. If it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't make us question at least a little bit if it's wise to give this money to Jesus, then it's just noise in a plate. You see, the kind of offering that Jesus celebrates is the kind that causes us to depend on him. So let me tell you the good news with this. Okay, I don't know how many of you um, follow sports updates, but I think the whole world was captivated by, by the story and the injury of Damar Hamlin. Okay, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, this, this 24-year-old guy, okay, he's, he's a pro athlete, like better shape than anybody in this room, okay? I'm just gonna say that. This guy's sharp, he's good at what he does, and, and he's on the field playing at the highest level possible. And he tackles somebody, it's just a routine tackle, okay, goes to the ground, he gets back up, he's excited that he, he got the hit, but, but he immediately falls back to the ground. See, he collapsed, and turns out, we found out later, that he went into cardiac arrest. And CPR was administered right there on the field and he was rushed off to the hospital in critical condition. Now he's doing okay right now, okay? He's actually left the hospital and, and doing well, but here's what amazes me about that experience, okay? And it specifically highlighted in this picture, these football players make millions of dollars. And I'm just gonna say this, they make stupid money, right? Like, they don't need Financial Peace University. They just give it all away and throw it at things they want it. They, they have no problems financially, right? Kinda. Okay, but, but these people right here, the EMTs, the medical professionals, they're making less money than anybody else on that field. But I want you to see something, okay? What amazes me is that the lowest paid people on that field had the most important job that Monday night. And it's because of them that someone is still alive today. Why am I telling you this? Because it illustrates an important principle from this text. You see, in God's economy, the poorest people in this church can fuel God's greatest work in the community. See, channeling God's work through our giving is not a privilege of the wealthy. It is a privilege of any person who is willing to live out their faith through sacrificial giving. Teenagers and college students, I know you don't have much money. Okay, you're working a part-time job, if anything at all, but your sacrifice is enough to fuel God's work in this world. Single parents and retired people, you are on a fixed income and every single penny is spent before it even comes in. But your sacrifice is enough to fuel God's work in this world. Individuals and families that are making just enough to get by. I know you don't have a lot of margin in your finances, but when you sacrifice for the kingdom of God, that sacrifice is enough to fuel God's mission in the world around us. But hear me in this, okay? If we don't trust God with our pennies now, it's unlikely that he will ever have control of our more substantial savings. See, it doesn't take a lot of money to see God work but it does require a lot of faith. 
See, I told you a couple weeks ago, our theme for this entire year is that we want to become a community that is willing to sacrifice anything to impact eternity. I mean, there is no better place than in our giving to practice that principle so that we can get better at it and we can unleash the power of God and the world around us. Giving is measured by sacrifice. All right, there's one more principle that I wanna pull out of this text. And I want you to know this is a principle I've never seen in this text before. Yeah, I started reading through this story and in the context of the story, like its placement in the Bible, what surrounds it stood out to me in a glaringly obvious way that caused me to add something to this from anything I have ever talked about before in relation to this story. I want you to go back a few verses, the two verses leading up to the story about this widow and her gift, verses 38 through 40, it says this. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Listen, there's a lot to unpack right here. During this time period, widows held little or no power in the courts. And for that reason, it was common for a husband to appoint a Pharisee to represent his widow if he should pass away. And so he essentially became the executor of, of that person's will and their estate. Essentially, they had the ability to oversee the finances and assets of the most desperate part of the population. This obviously left a lot of room for corruption. It wouldn't be hard for a corrupt Pharisee to, to come up with some scheme or strategy to trick a vulnerable widow into handing over all of her things, her house, and even her property. That's what the phrase devour widows' houses literally means. It means that rather than managing their spiritual responsibilities with integrity, many of the Pharisees abused, oppressed, and neglected God's people. As a matter of fact, it's possible that the widow in this story, the reason she only had two small coins to give is because of a Pharisee and the way he had mistreated her. Jesus critiques the religious leaders for their treatment of widows before celebrating a widow for her devotion to God. Here's the third thing that I want you to understand from this story. The church will be held responsible for its integrity. The church will be held responsible for its integrity. You see, throughout church history, God has used the church to do some of the most amazing things in the world. You see, God has used the church to feed the hungry and provide shelter for the homeless. He's used the church to care for single parents and orphans, to train children and adults to live as citizens of heaven. God has used the church to support people in their time of grief. He's used the church to help people build community and combat addiction. He's used the church to introduce lost people to a loving savior. He's used the church to carry the worship from the building to the marketplace. But we all know that the church has also been used as a source of abuse and corruption. Let me tell you something, that doesn't negate sacrificial giving, but it does put a heavy responsibility on churches like ours to steward the resources that they are given in a blameless way. And I wanna tell you some of the ways that we're trying to do that here at Northridge. Okay, I want you to know that while we're asking for 10%, okay, that's a tithe, that's the big biblical qualification for a tithe. We as a church give 10% of everything that comes in away. 
If we have a $2 million budget in one year, 10% of that before anything else happens, we send it off to missions. You saw a missionary last week. We've got somebody sitting here with us today that we support. Listen, $5,000 that we just sent to Griffith, that came out of that mission's money. 10% of everything you give is immediately given away and it goes towards missions. In addition to that, nobody counts cash or makes decisions in a vacuum. Okay, when I became the lead pastor, within a week, I had about 450 requests for me to support um, all of these different missions, quilting missions and bike racing missions and all sorts of stuff. And I realized it wasn't helpful or wise for me to be able to determine where all of our money goes. That's not good for you as a church. That's not being a good steward. And so what we did was we put a team together and John actually leads this team. I don't even sit on the team. John works through some qualifications and he has an elder that sits on that team and he has volunteers that sit on that team and they spent time this summer developing a list of different things that we were gonna support every single month and he presented that to me and that's what we're going with. We're actually gonna be building a missions wall in the next couple months so that you can see highlighted all the different things that your money is going towards in supporting in this world. Listen, we don't monitor your giving. Okay? This is an expectation we have of people that partner with us, but nobody is watching your giving to determine if you qualify to be a partner. But can I tell you something? We do monitor the giving of our staff and our elders. And we do that for a reason. Because we feel like it's our responsibility to lead with integrity. And if we're not doing what the Bible calls us to do, we can't ask other people to do it as well. Listen, they don't know it yet, but our elders are gonna come into our elder meeting next month and they're gonna hear me present a proposal that's actually gonna put my giving records on display for them whenever they wanna see it. Because I don't think it's right that I'm an exception to this rule. It's important that we as leaders lead with integrity. This church is held to a high standard in this area. And Jesus threatens punishment in this chapter, not for the giver, but for the ones who manage the gift. I'm telling you this to say this, we're taking our responsibility just as serious as we're asking you to. And we want you to know that when you give to Northridge Christian Church, there are systems and processes in place that ensure good stewardship and a good return on your investment. Listen, I'm gonna give you a list of some people that shouldn't give today, okay? In this in a really weird way. There's some people in this room that should not give to the church today. If you're visiting this church and you're from another church, Okay, maybe you're just in Milledgeville for the weekend. We don't want your money. Go catch up with your church when you go back home. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we don't want your money. We wanna tell you about Jesus. And we want you to come into a relationship with him so that your giving can be an act of worship. Listen, I'm gonna go one step farther and say, if you're behind on your bills, we don't want you to give. Not because that's the principle we should always follow, but because we would rather see you go through Financial Peace University and experience financial freedom so that you could then give not as a burden, but as an act of worship. But let me also say this, giving is absolutely something we expect from the people who have a relationship with Jesus and call this church home. Because sacrificial giving from those that are in this room is what's gonna fuel the fire of what God wants to do out in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you don't need to use people like us. It is the riskiest plan you have ever come up with. We're feeble and we talk ourselves out of things and we're half-hearted and God, we struggle in so many areas. 
But God, I'm grateful that the promise in this text is not that if we would just give everything we've got, if we would just, if we would just go above and beyond and, and just give more and more and more, it's, it's that if we would just be willing to sacrifice, just, just to place something in your hand, you'll multiply it and you'll do something even greater with it. God, I pray that you press on our hearts to be more generous than we've ever been, to be right with you in this area because we know it matters to you. But then, God, I pray that you would take our gifts, whatever they are, and multiply them. God, so that it doesn't sit in this building, in this place, but God, it changes the world out there. I pray that the gifts we give would just be a tool in your hands that will change the world out there. God, we thank you for using us. We ask for you to do it more and more every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.